Good morning. Welcome again to Morrison Hill Christian Church, and thank you for gathering with us this morning. Um, as UT proved yesterday, just showing up isn't necessarily the same thing as playing football. <laughs> and just showing up at church isn't necessarily the same thing as churching, if you will. And so this whole, this whole series right now that we're in the middle of authentic faith, the church, we're just going back to some of the key truths, the key things that we do that makes church, church. And making sure we're just kind of remembering together this this is this is what it's all about. We're using a um, a metaphor from Daniel Strickland and about a tree. But first, let me say this: leading, leading once again is 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 a process. It's it's not a leadership is not a position, but a action. It's something you do. It's something you you take someone there. So what we're trying to do is make sure that all of us together are getting where God wants us to go. We're not assuming that. Daniel Strickland has this awesome metaphor of a tree, our lives as a tree. We're using that throughout. We're going to use that again today to try to make sure we get the deepest ideas. She says that our deepest beliefs, the deepest truths that we hang on to, those are what shape our morals and values. So it's like the roots and then the trunk. Our morals and values, the, the things we believe are right and wrong, are actually rooted in something far deeper. So it's always best to start in the deepest part before we start making those rules. The branches then are the actual actions that we take in our lives, in any area of our lives, and the fruit is what comes of those actions. So in each one of these situations, you see one of these ideas, he's one of these truths, these strategies that makes a church a church. We're saying, what is the deepest stuff? What is the stuff that grows out of that that's good and bad? What makes it accurate or not accurate? And then what do we do about that? And then what can we expect on the other side? So this morning, once again, I'm just going to lay out the whole thing before you at the very beginning, and then we'll unpack it together. If discipling, and that's what we're looking at this morning, discipling other people, being a disciple. If discipling were a tree, the roots would be Jesus Christ himself. Last week we looked at worship, and the roots of worship is not some particular worship style or some need that we have, but God himself, the glory of God, his worthiness to be praised, his glory. And the same thing with discipling, it's all about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's no other way by which we may be saved. Jesus is the only way. And disciples of Jesus, at the bottom of every other technique they may use to follow him, whatever works for them to help them connect with Jesus, whatever helps them to do to help other people connect with Jesus, whatever else happens, it's rooted in that Jesus is the only way worth following. Jesus Christ is the center of the whole thing. And if that's not happening, I'm not sure what we're doing, but we're not disciples of Jesus. You've got to be following Jesus himself. The trunk of this tree then would be the Great Commission. It would be what Jesus said to us. He said, I have been given ultimate authority. Therefore, here's what I want you to do about it. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded. And he promised that when we do that, that he will be with us even to the very end of this age. 
So that is underneath everything else. All the hows and the whys and the techniques and the what works for you and what did so-and-so say. Underneath it all is we've got to be following Jesus himself. We've got to be helping people connect with Jesus himself. We've got to be connecting. If we're leading anybody, discipling anybody, we've got to make sure we're actually connecting with Jesus, not just ideas about him. And that we're primarily doing things he told us to do. His teachings, his commands. The branches, I'll give you three branches that we're going to especially focus on today, right out here. There's, there's more than that, but these three basic ones are this. It's, it's study, actually figuring out what the Bible actually says, making sure you know what Jesus said. Prayer, which connects us with Jesus himself, and then relationships with other people that are going down the same way. Those three things are the three branches that have to be on every single one of our discipleship trees, no matter what. And finally, the fruit that we can expect. If, if we're doing this right, here's what you can expect. All of the disciples of Jesus, as they go, are going to change and become more and more like Jesus as they go. You, as you pursue him, other people as you help them pursue him, them as they pursue and start bringing more people with them, there's going to be transformation. And the second thing you're going to see is there's going to be growth. There's going to be more and more people joining this team. There's going to be more and more people that are getting on board with following Jesus. So here's where we start. Jesus himself is the root. And we're going to jump right now into the trunk and just start working our way through this. I'd like you to read this statement with me. Christianity is discipleship. We all follow Jesus. That's really what it is. Christianity is deceptive. There, there is no way to separate those two scripturally. The idea of following Jesus, of building your life on his teachings. When he said, he said a wise person builds their life on his teachings like a wise person builds a house on solid ground, makes a firm foundation. It's got to start there. And that is where it starts. But it's a process. It's an ongoing process. We, following Jesus, recruiting more followers is not a next level option for really mature or really fanatical Christians. This is the bottom line. The idea of consistently following Jesus and consistently trying to recruit more followers for Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what defines us as his followers. Dallas Willard says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I like that. Eugene H. Peterson says, Christian discipleship is the way of life we were created for. So once again, when, when you start to follow Jesus, what happens is you, you, you start realizing that you have to refocus everything to follow him. Even, even the stuff that you like, the stuff you don't like, you yourself, the one, the one person you always agree with. Maybe you've got to disagree with that person every once in a while. Because we've got to, we've got to absolutely surrender the whole thing to Jesus. Choosing the way, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, the life. And choosing the way means rejecting all other paths. When I married my wife... Part of our vows, and I'm sure anybody else who's married in there, something you had something like this in your vows, but it was saying, forsaking all others, I choose you. It's the same thing when you follow Jesus. It's not a judgment on all the other women in the whole world or their worthiness of being good people that could be a good teammate or a good Christian guy. It's I chose her, and I felt like that's why God asked me to choose her, so everybody else is not 
They're not eligible just because I've already made that choice. And the same thing is, 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 that's the same thing with Jesus, is when we make that choice with Him. Suddenly, all the other options, everything else, it doesn't matter how much it makes sense. It doesn't matter how much we love the other person who also believes that other truth claim. It doesn't matter how much it seems good or feels good in our hearts. It doesn't matter how much logic or whatever else there may be. That's that's not on the table anymore. We have chosen to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, and we have forsaken all others, and that's all there is to it. To follow Jesus, this is the same way through the Old Testament where God forbade uh, idolatry. It wasn't just because he, he, he thought it was so stupid that they'd follow little statues. It was because they would follow anything else besides him. And this is consistent throughout the word and this is consistent with Jesus. Here's his own words in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? And don't miss this. What he's saying is if you don't follow me, you're going to lose your soul. 2 Corinthians 4.4 Paul writes, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. C.S. Lewis very famously pointed out that Jesus is one of three things that all start with the letter L. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord. Because people who say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Or I and the Father are one. Or many, many, many other things that Jesus said like that, that where he claimed to be God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, you don't say that unless it's true. If you say it and it's not true, you're either lying or you're straight up crazy. And anybody who really, really, really wrestles with Jesus' words, you realize he's neither one of those. That's why C.S. Lewis uh, finishes that section, that famous passage like this. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So as as his disciples, here's what we've got to do. We've got to, first of all, make sure it's about him. And then we've got to follow him and speak that truth boldly. Any other truth claim is not on the same level. It's just not. It's not that we hate those people. It's not that we don't see some logic or some sense in it. It's not that some of the things they say don't sound pretty good. It's that we already know the truth. The life, the way. And to be a follower is to follow that, period. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, first, obey. Let go of what binds you. Give up what is separating you from God's will. Do not say, I do not have the faith for that. You will not have it so long as you remain disobedient. And Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. 
Don't tell me you didn't see Yoda coming. It's true. But this is also an illustration. Not only do I believe in that idea, but listen to this. This is, this is in there intentionally because there are other truths out there. There are other things that are true, but we've got, if we're going to accept them, we have to harmonize them with the Scripture. We've got to balance them against Scripture. I agree with that. I don't pray to Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't believe in the Force. But I do believe that if you're going to get something done, you do it. You do it or you, and you either succeed or you fail. You don't try. You're never going to get anywhere unless you, if you just go, well, you know, I'm going to try and get around to that. No, you won't. You do it or you don't. You, you succeed or you fail at doing it. That's true. And that harmonizes with Scripture. Jesus says, follow me or not. Those are the only two tr tr truths we have. So this is exactly how we do it in a very simple way. This is how we do it. We hear other truth claims. We measure them against the ultimate truth we know about Jesus. And then we move ahead. Disciples do these three things. Now we're up to the branches. We've gone over and over again that Jesus is the root of the whole thing. The trunk, we've talked about that. It's got to be anything he said about it. Anything that, that he says is right, anything else is suspicious unless it matches up to him. And then it's right too if it matches up to him. But so what do we do about that? Let's talk about the three guaranteed branches that have to be on every single one of our trees if we're going to be called the disciples of Jesus. First, say this out loud with me if you would. Disciples relentlessly study God's Word. One more time, say that together. Disciples relentlessly study God's Word. This is something that I think we all struggle with. Uh, a bunch of you are my... Um, Friends, I think it's called. I'm not sure I lose track on the social media titles, but we're, we're all on the big um, version app. You know what I'm talking about? You can see who's keeping up with what and who finished a little thing. Some of you send me little good jobs every once in a while. So, so you know that there's a couple days here and there that I miss, but you could also follow me and realize I'm pretty consistent. This is something I live by. By and large, that's what I do. My point is just this. One of the reasons I use that app is to keep me accountable. You don't know if I read it in my, read my paper Bible or not. But if I've got a bunch of people, I, that's one of my motivations that keeps me in there. And here's the, here's the point. Do whatever it takes to study God's Word. You can't follow Jesus if you don't even know what He said. You can't obey Him if you don't consistently keep coming to the New Testament and seeing what did Jesus actually say. And what did His, his followers say about Him and what He said. And what did Jesus and his followers say about the Old Testament? And then you go to the Old Testament and you say, okay, so what did the Old Testament say about Jesus? What did the Old Testament say about God that Jesus didn't say but he harmonized with? And what did it point toward Jesus? Let's go back to Jesus again. If you don't do that, if that's not part of the rhythm, then there's no way you can follow his teachings. You can't build your life on something that you don't know about. And that, a big part of that is we study together. A big part of that is we study in small groups. A big part of that is we discuss and we hold each other accountable. But it also has to start with just you and Him. I don't know what it would take for you, personally. I, I'm guessing that most of you, at least, actually already do this. I hope so. But if not, do whatever works for you. Prioritize it. Write it down. Set an alarm that goes off every day. Write little post-it notes to yourself and stick them on there, the mirror where you brush your teeth. I hope you do that every day. Schedule it if you have to. Make an appointment just like you'd make an appointment with, with another person. Make that appointment with God. 
Jesus said that students become like their teachers. You can't become more and more like Jesus unless you're giving him a chance over and over and over relentlessly to teach you. And the more you recognize his voice, the more the, the rhythms and the cadence of how he speaks and the kinds of things he says just becomes so natural to you, that's when you can recognize his voice in other ways as well. And the other truth is, he, Jesus said that blind guides lead people, other blind people, just straight into a ditch. And we don't know what's not true. We don't know how to measure other truth claims against what is true unless we are so in love, it's so enamored, so completely engrossed, so completely percolating in what is true. I don't know if you know this or not, but when people uh, who are in, uh, they're, they're trying to identify counterfeit, they don't study all the possible options of counterfeit, they study the original, real money, what it looks like, what it smells like, every single detail about it. And they're so, they get so good at that, they're so familiar with what real money looks like, that the tiniest little detail that doesn't match up to that just kind of jumps out at This is why we study God's Word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. There are a lot of great Bible studies out there. Uh, Morrison Hill provides a free... Uh, subscription to Right Now Media for anybody who wants to. You can get on there uh, through the website. There's several different portals on the website where you can get through to, to get that. You sign up. It's free. You can have that. Those are guided Bible studies. Great teachers. The, the, I already mentioned the YouVersion Bible app. There's, there's great places online like BibleGateway.com. Uh, the printed Bibles still work, by the way. As last I checked, those work really, really well. Uh, all the Bible studies and sermons and all the other things that happen here at church, youth groups and home Bible studies, all of that helps. You need to figure out what you're going to do. There's a lot of ways to do it. But one of the best summaries I've ever seen is from Francis Chan. And that if you've got these two elements in any Bible study you're using, it's a good one. Okay? Here's what he says. You ask, what does this say? And what am I going to do about it? That's it. That's a good Bible study. If you're really trying to figure out what did Jesus really say about this, in light of all the other scripture, what does he mean by this? How does this all fit together? What is, what is the truth that's really here? How do we, how, how, am I sure I understand this? If, if your Bible study is helping you do that, that's step one. And step two is, what am I going to do about it? If you're missing either one of those two elements, it's probably not a very good Bible study. If, if, if it's got both, it's probably a good one. Does that make sense? James says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, I'm sorry, the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. This is why I believe what Francis Chan says, because it harmonizes with what the word actually says. It's pretty clear. See what it says, and then ask, what am I going to do about it? Here's the third thing. 
I'm sorry, second big branch. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. Number two, disciples communicate with God and with each other. Disciples communicate with God and each other. It's so important that we remember that prayer is communication. It's not a ritual. It's not a chore. And if you treat it like that, that's all it will ever be. But prayer is an opportunity to actually connect with God, to resync your soul with Him, to access His power, to access his, his plans, His very specific plans for your life, as well as His general plans for all disciples. And when we do this on a regular basis, it resyncs us also with everybody else who's doing that. If we're all coming to the same source, we're all surrendering to the same person, we naturally find a lot more unity and a lot more shared purpose with everyone else. And this need to daily, really, truly communicate with Jesus is what the, the, that is the heart of what Jesus was talking about when he said to go into your closet to pray. He said, don't stand on the street corners and pray so that other people see you praying. But go into your closet and pray secretly. It wasn't, again, it wasn't so much about that you have to keep it a secret as it was, you're not doing this for other people, this is for you and God. But also I think there's something to the fact that it's your room, your closet. This is something that you're doing. This is, this is part of your personal life. You are really in there. And when you're alone... I think you guys know this. When you're alone with God, it's a lot easier to be completely honest. Let it all hang out. You can cry. You can laugh. You can punch things. You can, you can be really, really quiet and just let him read your heart. Let the Holy Spirit intercede with groanings that we can't express. All of those things happen when we pray. Don't ever let your prayers become just sane prayers. I actually, probably somebody will get mad at me, but I don't care. I, I don't like the idea of teaching children to say prayers. Little, little rhyming, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. That one in particular, that's creepy. Have you ever listened to the words? I never wanted my kids laying there going, if I should die before I wake? Who's going to take, somebody's going to take my soul? I, 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 that's, that's not comforting. That's not cool. We did our very best to teach them to actually just talk to God. Now, if you want to memorize one, especially the Lord's Prayer, whatever, I'm not against that. I'm just saying, make sure you're not just saying a prayer. How much fun would it be to have conversations with people if we just go, hold on, hold on, here we go. Hi, Tom. Ready? Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm fine. It's great. Yep. Good. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Seriously? That's not a conversation. That does nothing for either one of us. That's just nothing. But if we actually have a conversation, it could be as simple as, how are you? Are you fine? And it's real and something changes. Make sure you're communicating with God. Oswald Chambers says, it is impossible to live the life of a disciple without definite times of secret prayer. You will find that the place to enter in is your business, as you walk along the streets, in the ordinary ways of life, when no one dreams you are praying. And the reward comes openly. A revival here, a blessing there. The scriptures teach us to pray at all times and on every occasion. But I'm telling you, when you consistently, strategically pray alone, that's where the real power begins. 
Hudson Taylor, if you want to know about prayer and the power of prayer, you should look up this guy. Any biography about him, any of his teachings, unbelievable prayer warrior. Got stuff out of God that almost nobody else did. Was willing to risk more than anybody I've ever read. Amazing. Here's one of the things he says. He says, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. And of course, we don't only pray alone. It just has to start there. There's so much power when two or three are gathered in his name. Two or three unite to follow God's purposes. Two or three unite to pray. This week we had some people come and pray for each person on the staff. Can't tell you the blessing that was. I can't tell you how amazing that was and how, 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 what a blessing that is. There is so much in prayer that we don't get and we don't even dream of. Most of the time. And a lot of that is corporate. A lot of that is together. A lot of that is people, the elders laying their hands on people and praying for them and so many other different kinds of corporate prayer. I'm just saying it needs to start there. Because then you're, that's what really syncs you up with the other people that you're praying because you're all syncing up with God. Here's the third branch that has to be on every tree and then we're going to start wrapping this thing up. But this is so important. Francis Chan again. He says, if you really want to experience God, go and make disciples. Now, I, if you're like, like me, if you, inter, you interact with God in some of the same ways that I like to, you've experienced God during worship. You've experienced God during prayer. You've experienced God during someone else talking to you about the Word. You've experienced God reading the Word and studying the Word alone. You've experienced God praying alone. You've experienced God praying with other people. You can experience God in all these kind of experiential kind of things, and it's real and it's powerful. But I can honestly say the most, most powerful things I've ever experienced, really knowing, really just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was there in that moment. He was present in that situation. He was doing stuff, is on mission trips and at camp and at other times where, where there's, the whole focus is discipling or the whole focus is serving, the whole focus is doing something together. You're actually acting, you're completely, you're in, and part of that process is every single person in that group is intentionally in that moment, for that week, for that, those couple of days, for that retreat weekend, every person is intentionally helping each other along that path toward Jesus. Every single person is united in doing something specific that he told us to do. And those are the moments when we really sense him showing up. Those are the moments where we really, truly experience God. And if you dare, if you dare to try it, not try it, do it. Do or do not. You dare to just get out there and do it. And you say, I'm going to try to disciple someone. I guarantee you that's when, if you've never experienced God through worship and prayer and all those others, it's going to start when you start being obedient to that. Find someone that you can help along the path. Disciples train each other. They build each other up. Let's say that together. Disciples train each other and build each other up. Part of this is parents. I'm going to speak to parents for just a second. Then we're going to wrap up with stuff that goes to everybody again. Parents, please listen. This especially says fathers, but this counts for all parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I love that bring them up. You're taking them with you. 
You're not doing something to them. You're doing something with them. You're taking them. That's what leadership looks like. That's what discipleship looks like. Vadi T. Bosham Jr. says, Discipling our children is not about teaching them to behave in a way that won't embarrass us. We're working towards something much more important than that. We're leading them to trust and follow Christ. I'm going to read that last line a couple of times and just emphasize certain words. I just want you to really let this sink in. We're leading them to trust and follow Christ. 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 That's what it means. Whether it's your kid or anybody else that you love, if you're discipling someone, that's what you're doing. Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let the Colossians, Paul writes, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. One of the most fun things we do at every adventure week at Smoky Mountain Christian Campus go whitewater rafting. I used that as an illustration about leadership not too long ago, and um, I, I'll probably keep telling you stories about that as years go by because I just absolutely love doing that. It's an amazing experience. If you've never funyaked down the Hiawassee and you live in East Tennessee, you're doing it wrong. You need to get out there. You need to try it out. It's amazing. But here's the thing. Listen. Uh, one of the things that we always do is somehow with the grace of God and the skill of the people that are doing it and everything else we can think of, we get everybody from point A to point B. We put people in at the top, we get them out safely at the bottom. We do whatever it takes to do, make that journey together. It's a, great, it's a great illustration about what discipleship... Here, here's some of the things that usually happen though along the way. You see transformation and you see growth. You see uh, uh, people that are crying, and please don't make me do this, and can somebody else that knows what they're doing be in my boat? They come out the other end, and they're like, that was amazing. Pe people that at the top where you put in, they're going, how do you hold the paddle? How, wh wh oh, you paddle on the right to go left? That's weird. On the, at, at the bottom, they're just like, doo, doo, doo. they're just doing their thing. There's transformation that's happened. And, and not only that, you see growth, because almost, almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone is like, I'm coming back. I'm doing this again. I'm going to bring my family. But there was one, there was one time in all the years, there was one time that sticks out in my brain more than any other because we had these two students that came. And I, I, I don't know what was going on with them. I don't even know how they did it. I couldn't have done that if I tried. But they literally sat in their kayak with their paddles on their laps and stared straight ahead the whole time. That's it. If they hit a rapid, they'd just sit there. We'd get out of the boat, we'd pull them through. I eventually took the shoelaces out of my shoes and tied their boat to mine and just drug them through because we had to get them down there somehow. They never flinched, they never screamed, they never said, woo-ha, they never said anything. They never did anything. It was just like, mm. They missed the whole experience. There was no transformation. There was no growth. They somehow made it from point A to point B, but they didn't connect. And this is, this is my encouragement to you this morning. You've got to take responsibility yourself for your own discipleship with Jesus. Amen. 
No matter how much anybody else is trying to pour into you and love, uh, love, pour love into your life, no matter how much somebody else is telling you the truth in a powerful or a loving way, no matter what else is happening, you've got to, you've got to make that happen in your life. That absolutely has to happen. So that is the challenge this morning. That's what we're asking you to do as you come forward in this final song. You don't even have to come forward. But I would love for you to do this. I would love for you to each person this morning to just let the music kind of wash over you and say, Jesus, you are the root of the tree of my life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And you are gonna, you, you are the whole thing. I'm going to recommit or maybe commit for the first time. I'm, I, I'm gonna commit that whatever you say is what I'm gonna measure everything else against. I'm gonna study your word, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna bring somebody else with me. No one can do that for you. That's a choice you make. That's what we ask you to do as we stand and sing.